Welcome to Welcome to Welcome to Court of Opinion. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stir. All right. We've got some teams that continue to deal with the injury bug. Talk about a team that is dealing with a uh, too many issue. Talk about some teams that are on their longest losing streaks. And then we'll talk about some teams. Uh, some picks that teams may have not realized they were getting a diamond in the rough and then we'll finish with arbitration but to start injury plagues a couple teams here we got KD and Zach Levine both out with knee issues Draymond Green out with a calf disc issue KD is expected to be out for four to six weeks Levine's going to be out for an indefinite period and Draymond is out for at least two more weeks with his issue so Three top teams are losing these stars. All three of these teams are in the top three seeds in their conferences. Which team do you think is impacted the most? So I think that it's probably going to impact the Warriors the most um, just because of the unique timing of what's going on in their team as well. They also are trying to transition Clay Thompson back into the lineup. They've had to move people like Jordan Poole back to the bench and now that Draymond Green is out, who's the main organizer and orchestrator of their offense, I know Stephen Curry is the point guard, but the leading assist man on that team is Draymond Green. He's the guy that settles everyone in. And um, I think that Draymond Green also being a leading candidate for defensive player of the year is going to also make a massive impact because he's also in charge of getting everyone in their spots on defense too. He is the vocal leader of that team. And with so many young players playing um, pivotal roles for that team, I think they really benefit from having a proven leader and veteran like Draymond out on the floor to settle everyone down. So I think that this is a particularly bad time for Draymond to go down. Whereas I think for the Nets, they've kind of like, yes, it is unfortunate. I think that Kevin Durant is probably the single biggest talent of anyone that's gone down. Obviously he's the hardest to replace in what he gives you, but the Nets, are kind of used to being without their top players for indefinite periods of time. We've seen it since this big three has come together. They've rarely had all three of these guys together at the same time. So for them, it's honestly just more of the same. Um, they're now going to transition back to a more James Harden approach, which I guess it's, um, it's a good thing for them that this is also around the time that James Harden is playing his best basketball of the year. So who knows, maybe it's somewhat beneficial for them. It allows him to regain even more confidence on offense and go into the second half and into the playoff with a head of steam and with a lot of uh, confidence in his offensive abilities. And like I said, it's, it's something that the Nets are used to dealing with. They're potentially getting Kyrie Irving back every other game. And if they wanted to, if they wanted to pay that $5,000 fine, um, which maybe they'll reconsider now that Durant is going to be missing some time, they could feasibly or uh, reasonably get him for all of their games back. So I think that that really hurts. Zach Levine obviously is a great talent, but I think that having other offensive weapons um, on the Bulls probably helps to mitigate his loss a little bit more. And given the fact that he doesn't make as big of an impact on defense, I think that it's probably easier for the Bulls to survive Zach Levine's temporary loss. It's just that um, the Bulls in general have lost a lot of guys that have been important to what they do. 
The Bulls were a team that before were a pretty good defensive team and lately have been struggling a little bit more, losing three in a row because they haven't been playing very good defense. And part of that is because they've had Alex Caruso, arguably their best perimeter defender, go down. Derek Jones Jr., a guy who occasionally starts for them, is one of their best perimeter defenders and inside-out switchable defenders. He goes down. Um, now you get Zach Levine going down. It's really just been tough for them to replace um, the number of bodies that they've had go down right on the perimeter. So it's going to be interesting to see if DeMar DeRozan alone is the all-star level or the superstar level player that he seemingly has made himself out to be this year because now um, I think all of it is going to be put squarely on his shoulders to carry the Bulls. Yeah, I, I agree with you on the point of Draymond being the heart and soul of the Warriors, but I think that that team getting uh, getting Clay back, having Steph there, having – their first round picks from this year playing well as of late, as well as having Jordan Poole having a impressive year, which we'll get into a little bit more later on. But I think their team overall is constructed to deal with this adversity a little bit more. And then with the Bulls, I think that they have a more complete team that haven't missed the amount of games that the other Nets players have. So I think that the Bulls are, are going to be all right. But I think the Nets are the most impacted here. I know James Harden has been playing well as of late, but that's playing well with having the best player in basketball on the court with you. So now teams can scheme to be covering you solely. Obviously you have Kyrie for road games, but even if you look at the strength of schedule for the Bulls as compared to the Nets, as compared to the Warriors, the Nets face a lot of tougher opponents and are on the road for a longer stretch as compared to the Bulls. So I think that this period for the Nets is going to be very challenging for them. And right now for the last 10 games are under 500. And so I think that it's going to be very challenging for them to maintain their two spot with the types of games that they have coming up on the road, um, given Kevin Durant won't be playing. Yeah, I guess we'll have to see. The Warriors have been struggling a bit as of late. Um, it could just be a little bit of a rough patch that they're having. But um, it could also be Draymond Green's um, absence already being felt. So I guess we'll see how these teams respond to adversity. Um, luckily for them, it is early enough in the year where you can reasonably expect that they'll get all of their key pieces back in time for the playoffs and conceivably return um, to the teams that we've seen them be at peak form this season. So I don't think that it's going to be um, a season altering event for any of these teams, but I think that it'll definitely um, potentially affect seeding and may affect how easy your path is come playoff time. I agree, but let's talk a team about a team that has a completely different issue and that's they have it's seemingly too many good pieces to uh, know what to do with. So Miami heat, uh, they have had many different starting lineups of the season and they played the Suns, blew them out on the road, beat the Hawks both on the road and at home. And then they did lose to the 76ers. They have Bam coming back tonight. But what do you think about the Heat being able to not only 
weather the storm, but thrive with a bunch of undrafted talent, a bunch of 10 day contracts and recycling guys in and out of a lineup playing against tough teams, both in both conferences. Honestly, it's going to, it's going to make me sick to say it because it's been said so many times that at this point it's so played out. It sounds like a cliche, but you got to give a credit to their culture. It really is the kind of mentality that they have in that locker room. They basically do go out every game and no matter who's available that day, they expect to have a, a decent chance at winning because they expect to outwork the other team. They really do believe that on a night-to-night basis, the one thing you can control is your effort. And they try to control that variable better than anybody else to give a better effort than anyone else can. And I think that when you have that, that type of mentality, especially in a practice setting too, where you're bringing that same mentality to practice and you have a coach and leaders who, yeah, maybe the leaders of the team are injured, they're still there at practice. Their, their presence can still be felt. Um, you know, having that kind of mentality is really great for having player development. So if we're just, if we're just looking at the Heat's roster, I mean, this was a team that earlier in the year, a lot of people left them for dead. They had Bam Adebayo go down. Jimmy Butler's been out a ton. He's probably missed just as many, if not more, games than he's played in this year. Um, they've had a lot of other guys gone with health and safety protocols in and out of the lineup. And it seems like anytime one guy seems to find their groove, they have to go out of the lineup because of some reason or another, then you have to make a new makeshift lineup. This team has been a chameleon and this team has been really hard to predict on a game to game basis, because since their lineup has been so variable, um, you got to give a testament to Eric Spolstra. It's, it's puts him as a leading candidate for coach of the year, because he's not even going out there with a consistent game plan. He's going out there on a game-to-game basis, looking at the pieces that he has available that day, tailoring a game plan to those guys, and then executing that plan based on whatever's available that day. When Jimmy Butler plays, obviously they don't uh, shoot as many three-pointers or when Bam plays either, but with those guys out of the lineup, they've become one of the best three-point shooting teams in the league. I think they rank second right now overall in team three-point field goal percentage. And that's largely a testament to their ball movement. You never know on any given night who's going to be the leading scorer. And just to give you a rundown of, um, you know, these gems that they've uncovered, because, yes, this is going to be um, an interesting situation for Spolster when they continue to get players come back healthy. They're going to have to find a way to distribute these minutes. And all of these guys have earned minutes. So it's going to be really tough. But um, within the Heat system, Obviously, Tyler Hero taking a huge step up this year, um, averaging 21 points per game. He's become a player that at this point, the Heat have to really consider. We were all saying we should trade this guy for uh, a bona fide superstar. And now you really have to consider it because you are you really going to give up, um, you know, a treasure trove of assets, even if the player is better than Hero? Is he, are you really going to give up all that for a guy who's only averaging like, what, five more points a game or something like that? Probably not at that point. But they've discovered guys like Caleb Martin on a two-way contract who has been a revelation this year. Um, six foot five, highly athletic, only 26 years old. He's playing elite defense. And I think that that's the biggest impact that he's made. In a recent interview, Tyler Hero was asked what the secret was to the Heat's defense lately in stopping elite point guards because a lot of elite point guards have been struggling to get it going against them. And he says, simple as Caleb Martin, he's just been playing incredible defense. He's been everywhere. When he goes on the court, it seems like he's got a radar for the ball. He's involved in every single play. He's bought into the heat culture of taking charges. He takes his charges 
he's actually become a somewhat reliable three-point shooter. Um, one of the biggest liabilities that he's had to his game and one of the biggest questions has been his jump shot. There's been no question about his athleticism or his um, you know, ability to make an impact on the defensive end, but his inability to knock down jumpers was a big question, and now he's knocking it down at 37% from three and 51% from the field. This is a guy that a two-way contract player is giving you unprecedented production for a guy who's on a two-way contract. And um, I'm sure the Heat are probably thinking about keeping this guy long-term at this point. But um, they've seen him come to fruition. A guy like Max Struess, who, you know, a guy that came from a D2 school, transferred to DePaul, had no types of bells or whistles about him. If you look at what he's done in the last 10, he's averaging 15 points per game in the last 10, shooting 44% from three, 46% from the field. He's only... 25 years old, same as Caleb Martin. I mean, these are guys that still have their best basketball ahead of them. They're playing on really cheap contracts and making contributions. Um, Gabe Vincent, another player that's proven to be a valuable contributor off the bench. Kyle Guy, he's had his moments, earned himself a standard contract. And then I think another really, really big story has been obviously Omer Yurtseven. You can't talk about this team without talking about what he's done. I think the biggest issue with the Heat when they had all these injuries was the nature of their injuries because they got really hit along the front line really badly. So they had pretty much at one point, they only had one guy on their roster who was actually listed as a center that they could play. So an Omar Yurtseven, a guy who was widely considered a project, was not expected to see extended time. He was a guy who's seen garbage minutes for the last two minutes at the end of blowouts or at the end of a surefire game. And he's been a guy that's really been able to come out and make a massive impact. And um, I think at this point with a PER of 18.19, he's um, he's already broken the heat rookie record for most consecutive games with 10 or more rebounds. And I think actually the, the most heat rebounds period, not just for a rookie, for any player for double digit rebounds, and if you look at his most recent game against Joel Embiid in the 76ers, yes, they did lose, but he matches a season high with 22 points and 11 rebounds um, on many plays, just frustrating Embiid with his skill, um, showing to be a multidimensional player who knows how to play the pick and roll. He can dive, he can roll to the rim, he can finish with authority. He is a good uh, rim protector. He's, you know, definitely making his game or the, the impact on the game felt by rebounding averaging 13.9 rebounds per game in his last 10, 13.6 rebounds per game in his last 10, averaging a double-double. He's been a walking double-double. And um, Doc Rivers came out after the game, and he himself said it. I'm, I'm mad as hell. I don't know how the Heat keep finding these guys. So the Heat have a problem right now where they have way too many good pieces, and they got to figure out who's going to get playing time. But, you know, it's a good problem to have because for a team that um, basically has no draft capital, has no picks whatsoever, and at the beginning of the season, looked like they basically were stuck with the roster they had because of the inflexibility of the contracts. You now have a team that can basically pivot in any direction. So um, I think that the Miami Heat are in a really good position going forward, even if there are a couple of headaches um, in the short term as these pieces. We haven't even talked about Victor Oladipo. So um, what do you think is going to happen with these rotations? Who do you think is going to end up getting squeezed out? So... Uh... I mean, just to hammer home the point that you're making about the culture and just all of these guys, 
they have had 15 different starting lineups this year, which I'm not sure about other teams, but that sounds egregiously high. And they've used 16 different people for those 15 different lineups. So that is over the course of, let's see how many games they've played. That's over the course of 43 games that they have 15 different lineups with 16 different people. So that's one in three games has a different lineup, which is absurd. And they have, they're sitting right now at the third spot in the East talked about both the bulls and the nets potentially struggling with some of their missing stars. So I, I, I think the Heat are in a great position to supplant these teams in the coming weeks, especially if these teams are reeling from uh, their stars not being in there. But I, the first person that comes to mind that's going to get squeezed out from a name brand perspective is Duncan Robinson. And if you asked me that at the beginning of the season, I would have thought that that was ludicrous. But I think that Duncan Robinson is the first one out from this main group because the last couple of games he has played abysmally. He played against the 76ers. I think he was 0 of 8 and only scored two points. The game before that, I believe he scored zero points or was in one of the more recent games. So he had a couple nice games off the bench. He obviously was struggling to start the season, but when you have guys like Caleb Martin and Max Struess who are shooting well and shooting well from three, then why are you going to start this guy? It doesn't matter if he is being paid more, but if you're, the product's not on the court, then they're not going to put him out there. So I, I feel like he is the first one out overall. And then obviously Gabe Vincent, Casey Akpala. I think that if Max Struess and Caleb Martin continue to play well as well there and you get back Bam out of bio, you have your seven playing alongside Bam or playing like, 15 to 20 minutes a game, then I don't see the path for KZ or Gabe Vincent to get a lot of like quality minutes. So I would say that those three guys, Duncan being the first KZ and Gabe being the like tier two guys who aren't going to get that many minutes. Yeah. I think it's going to be obviously a complicated situation. Duncan Robinson, obviously is a, a very good pick, especially because when Victor Oladipo comes back, even if the Heat don't figure Victor Oladipo is going to be part of their long-term plans, you would still like to be able to get something for that asset. I mean, you've had him there all this time. You're going to have to give him some playing time in order for him to show value, whether you plan to keep him or not. He has to show value by giving him some run. Um, and at the very least, you know he's going to be a better defender than Duncan Robinson is, who still is an absolute liability on the defensive end. The issue is if you bench Duncan Robinson and you take his minutes completely, you also tank his value. The Heat need to be um, timely in moving his contract. I think Max Struess has made Duncan Robinson extremely expendable. And obviously Caleb Martin as well brings an element that Duncan Robinson can't give you. Yes, Duncan Robinson is, is a, you know elite shooter sometimes, but Caleb Martin is going to consistently be a good defender who will impact the game on that end that you can count on to be a great threat to finish in transition, get you easy baskets. These are consistent buckets you can count on. Duncan Robinson, on the other hand, has been the model of inconsistency this year. So I think that the Heat have to capitalize on games like what happened recently, where he had, you know, 27 points off the bench, had eight threes. 
you know, he has stretches where he'll be shooting well like that, and then he'll fall off a cliff again. The Heat are just going to have to bite the bullet. He's got a sizable contract. You can get value back for this guy and package him with maybe another one, another one or two of these players that you envision getting squeezed out of your rotation and maybe getting something back because I just don't see the path for him there uh, going forward. It just It's tough because to take all his minutes also would diminish the, the, the value that you could get back for him. I think the main storyline to watch is what Eric Spolster is going to do with Omer Yurt 7 because I think that he's really forced his hand here. Omer Yurt 7 was not somebody that figured to be in Eric Spolster's plans to get um, consistent minutes whatsoever. Um, and I think that at this point, he's done so well that he would honestly make Eric Spolster look bad to sit him down because to hinder his development, I mean, this guy has strictly put himself in the conversation now, not for rookie of the year, but he's on the leaderboard. You can definitely say he's one of the top 10 rookies in the NBA right now. You can really say that. And this is a guy that nobody knew who the hell he was at the beginning of the year, um, undrafted. So you got to keep playing this guy. He's been producing for you. He's been leading to wins. The Heat have been thriving with him in the lineup. But you've also got the veteran Dwayne Dedman, who's also been productive in the lineup. And then you have Bam Adebayo coming back. So what complicates matters is it's Eric Spolster's unwillingness to play two traditional big men alongside each other usually. Um, he typically likes to play a bit of a smaller, more versatile, more switchable lineup. I would love to see a lineup where you have Omer Yurt 7 with Bam Adebayo, but at the expense of who? Are you going to sit P.J. Tucker? who's the league leader right now in three-point percentage and obviously offers something that neither of the other two can, it's really a tough decision to make. So I think that Eric Spolster is going to have a tough decision on his hands to make with uh, Dwayne Dedman and Omer Yurt 7. And as much as I loved uh, Dwayne Dedman, and as well as he's been playing and as serviceable as he's been, he may be somebody that um, may be packaged into a deal as well just because Omer Yurt 7 at this point has made him a little expendable um, also. Yeah, I am excited to see what Spo cooks up with a full and healthy roster. But moving on to some teams with less fortunate news or uh, of a overall outlook, the Hawks and Lakers are currently on the longest losing streaks in the East and West, respectively. Hawks losing five in a row. The Lakers have lost three in a row. Which of these two teams do you think should be more concerned? Uh, I mean, at this point, it's just really hard to say because the Lakers and the Hawks, it's been this way all year for them. It's not like these guys have, you know, been playing well and then all of a sudden they fell off a cliff. These are teams that have been underperforming and struggling all year that came in with big expectations. The Hawks, you know, making it all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals. The Lakers, obviously, uh, making it all the way to the Finals. These are teams that have severely underperformed. I think that probably the one who'd have more to worry about would be the Lakers, just because the Lakers were the team that made it to the Finals that have, you know, three Hall of Famers on the roster right now. The team that had the tweet earlier in the year from LeBron about don't, don't uh, talk about my team's age. Don't talk about our personnel being washed up or any of this. I want to see these same people when our team is dominating. I mean, this is the team that was talking a big game earlier. 
So I think they definitely have a lot more to worry about, especially also because I think that for them, there's just less of a way to fix it than there is for the Hawks. I think that for the Hawks, at least if the Hawks wanted to pivot and maybe switch it up and, um, you know, change the pieces around Trey Young for a second half push, they do have assets on their team that lots of people would be interested in. As you can see, they just traded Cam Reddish. They could be a team that will be selling more pieces. It could be that perhaps they've decided that the pairing with Trey Young and John Collins, for whatever reason, just isn't going to work out, even though on paper it should seem like it should be a perfect fit. These are pieces that at least teams would want. The Lakers don't even have anything that anybody wants right now. I don't know what they can do to fix that situation. So I think that it's probably more of a concern for them, um, especially because this is a, a veteran team, unlike the Hawks, who are, you could say, is a younger team. Younger teams, you can say, are more susceptible to having um, little stretches where maybe they'll have a mental lapse for several games in a row and just go on a little losing streak here or there. But you expect the veteran teams to be professionals, to have been there, done that, be able to know when to turn it on. And the fact that they still can't turn it on, I think that that's probably more concerning going into the all-star break. And it's still the same conversation and the same story with this team. Yeah, it the, the Russell Westbrook contract just continues to look like a bigger and bigger mistake because exactly to your point, like they're not going to be able to trade. And it, like none of the young talent that have or are making not a lot of money can be packaged with Russ to make it make sense for a team to take on that contract. So with the Hawks, like you said, I think that they have a little more flexibility, a lot more flexibility when it comes to their roster and what they'd be able to do in terms of trading John Collins or trading Bogdanovich or trading Gallinari. Like any they're of getting those Brandon guys. Clark back. I mean, he's a solid piece. He's, he's looked really impressive in the times that he's played. I mean, that guy could be potentially uh, a future all-star with his athletic profile and shot-making ability. He could be someone that has the raw tools. So, you know, they do have pieces there. They're just, for whatever reason, not producing wins. Yeah, and I, I think that they're and, – and none of their salaries are exorbitant. Like John Collins, yes, he's making $23 million a year, but he's 24 years old. And it's reasonable, he clearly, exactly. And he's clearly a bona fide talent in the league. So I think any of these contracts are – digestible by a team and teams would be willing to bring on a John Collins or bring on a Gallinari or bring on a Clint Capella to bolster their roster and fill whatever gaps that they may need. It'd be interesting to see if the Hawks and the Celtics talk at the deadline, because both these teams, they're sitting uh, right there at 11 and 12 in the Eastern conference. You didn't think that they would be sitting there at 11 or 12, but I think Jalen Brown, obviously from the Atlanta area. We don't know if the Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown pairing is working necessarily. And the Hawks, obviously, we just talked about how they have some guys like Clint Capella or John Collins. What if the Celtics give up Jalen Brown for John Collins plus a Clint Capella for somebody else on the Celtics roster just to change things up? Because clearly the running mates aren't working. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, Jalen Brown, obviously a guy that would have a lot of suitors, still has his best basketball ahead of him. 
Again, there are some people in the league that are not even convinced that Jason Tatum is the best player in the Celtics. There are some people who would think that Jalen Brown is the better of the two. Um, obviously, I still think that Jason Tatum probably presents the higher ceiling, but, you know, a guy who would have a lot of suitors. But again, like you alluded to, point is the Hawks have options. They have ways that they could restructure or pivot. It's not like they've dug themselves into um, a general manager's nightmare. And honestly, looking at the way that all this has panned out, Sam Presti is looking more and more like a genius. I, I don't know how he was able to do this, but, um, you know, it was, it was really smart of him to be able to move that really mammoth albatross contract when he was able to. And if you look at their roster on Oklahoma City, the guy who's getting paid the most money is Derek Favors at $9 million. Their entire roster is making less than, I think, Russell Westbrook right now. And so the fans aren't mad because they know that they have this treasure trove of picks in waiting. Their owner is probably not mad because they're definitely not paying anywhere near the luxury tax and they're not going to be until shy gets his contract extension that hits and takes into effect as well as when all of these guys that they are about to draft in the next five years, five years later, get a max contract extension. So, OKC, their fans are happy. Their owner is happy. Everyone is chilling right now. And Sam Presti is also like, I have no pressure right now to win. And everybody knows that it's all about the future. So he has job security as well for the future. Yeah, nice position he's put himself in for sure at Russell Westbrook's expense. <laughs> well, let's talk now about some picks that have done extremely well for teams where they may have not realized that they were drafting the star potential. But in recent weeks, we've talked about Anthony Simons, Desmond Bain, Jonathan Murray, and Jordan Poole, who for the, the Trailblazers, the Grizzlies, the Spurs, and the Warriors have been playing outstanding this year. So of these four, or maybe there's somebody else, what player 25 and under do you think that his non-lottery pick has the greatest potential? So these guys, there's a lot to like with uh, with all of these players. They all have, obviously are going to bring something different to the table. And um, they're all players that were picked 15th pick or later and are all 25 years or younger. So they're all players that have their best basketball ahead of them and are providing production right now that would allude to them potentially being borderline all-stars or maybe bona fide all-stars later on in their careers. If I'm looking at all these guys who all are great players in their own right, I mean, just to highlight a little bit of the positives and, um, you know, the, the high points of all of these guys, Deontay Murray is a guy who, even though maybe wouldn't be considered the most polished of these four as a scorer, he's probably, the, in my opinion, the least polished overall scorer of these guys. Despite averaging 19 points per game, he has high usage. Um, he has a PR of 21.09, which is the highest of all of these guys, and is averaging 8.3 rebounds and 8.9 assists. So, and he obviously provides great defense as well. Great team player in the Spurs system. Jordan Poole, 17.2 points per game. Same um, or similar physical profile, actually, as Deontay Murray, both guys that are six foot four. 
Jordan Poole, a little bit bigger at 194 pounds, maybe a little bit more explosive, a little faster, more athleticism, more finishing ability. So um, I think that obviously he, at 22 years old, three years younger than Deontay Murray, probably has a higher ceiling. But if I'm being completely honest, I think that the guy that has explosive potential out of all of these guys is probably Anthony Simmons. Um, or I'm not sure if Desmond Bain isn't the best of these guys right now, but I think that Anthony Simons is the guy that is the most explosive. We saw the game where he went off, had um, amazing performance, where he had, I think it was 40-something points, 43 points, 9 of 16 from three career high a couple of games ago against Atlanta. And I think that ever since he's been put into this um, role of lead scorer, he has exploded. Unlike the other guys, his averages right now at 14.6 points per game wouldn't lead you to believe that he is the most explosive of these guys. And at six foot three, maybe a little bit smaller, but he's probably the most explosive athlete of these guys and probably has the most pure stroke, the best jump shot of all these guys. He's averaged in these last couple of games, ever since he took off for that 43-point explosion, he's been averaging 28.3 points per game in the month of January. And Neil Olshi himself, the general manager, came out and said he thought that Anthony Simons actually has the highest potential of anyone that he's ever drafted, which is honestly a very, very big compliment to him. He's only 22 years old. Yes, he is 6'3 and is a little bit shorter, but he is someone that has won a dunk contest. I mean, this guy, or has been in a dunk contest, he has explosive athleticism. His three-point shot right now in the month of January, he's shooting 45% from three, and he's taking 11.7 threes per game, which is absurd. 11.7 threes per game and shooting 45%. I think that of anyone, he probably presents the most potential to be a cornerstone franchise guy. Well, I'm going to go with somebody from the field here, and I think that uh, Jared Allen is the most promising non-lottery pick player that is under 25 right now. If you look at his offensive and defensive rating, it's astronomical on the offensive end right now. He's 131 for 100 possessions, and his defensive rating is at 102, which is the best in his career. And the Cleveland Cavaliers have clearly been doing well this year. He's increased his overall points per game to 16.6 points per game. And he's consistent with his blocks, 1.4 for his career. He's averaging a double-double with 11 rebounds per game. And overall, he's just getting better year after year. Uh, and I think if Cleveland does surround him with the right talent, then Jared Allen has potential to be a cornerstone piece and a cornerstone center in the league and he's shot a couple of threes per game I don't know if he's gonna try to open this up as part of his game but I think that as the offense continues to flow through him and he continues to dominate I it'll be exciting to see what the Cavs do with Jared yeah Jared Allen obviously is a, a very underrated player no one really talks about him very much and I can see what you're saying he actually has a higher PER than any of the guys that we had mentioned earlier. I can definitely see what you're saying, but um, I just think that Jared Allen is a guy that projects at best case scenario to be a guy kind of like a Rudy Gobert type guy. I don't think that he's ever going to be a guy that you can count on to be a go-to scorer on a possession to possession basis. This guy is not the second coming of Joel Embiid. 
He is at best the second coming of a guy like Rudy Gobert. He's a great defensive player, very opportunistic scorer. He can obviously impact the game on that end. He's averaging 16 points a game, but he's never really going to be an offensive threat where he's a three-level scorer you can count on to be, you know, a go-to guy at the end of games to get you a bucket. So I personally don't think that guys like that are players that you can allocate like top three money on your team to. I think that like your cornerstone guy has to be a guy that you can count on to potentially will your team to victories, not necessarily a guy who's a superstar complimentary piece, but he's a great player. Don't get me wrong. I just see him as like potentially the next version of a Rudy Gobert if he can reach that. And I see Anthony Simons um, as shades of Donovan Mitchell. He reminds me a lot of Donovan Mitchell with an actually much better jump shot with similar athleticism, which is scary to say that. I mean, Anthony Simons really does have similar athleticism. He won that dunk contest, actually, now that I remember. Um, and he's a much better jump shooter. He's only 22 years old. So who do you want to be the cornerstone of your team? Donovan Mitchell or Rudy Gobert? I think it's, for me, a no-brainer. Well, regardless, continues with our theme this season of there is a passing of the guard. But moving on to our final segment, arbitration, we will take on the roles of two different people or scenarios and have a little fun with uh, fighting out what's been going on. So let's start. Magic Johnson versus the Lakers team as Magic ripped the Lakers after their effort in a defeat to the Nuggets. I'll be the Lakers team and you can be Magic. Honestly, at this point, I know that I may not be super involved with the Lakers anymore. And I know that I probably left them high and dry when I was, you know, working on the front office. I probably didn't have the most ceremonious exit. So my opinion at this point, you know, may not be welcome in everybody's eyes, but I don't think that you need to be someone that is heavily involved with the Lakers organization or beloved by them to see that this team has given up. This team is playing a Nuggets team that doesn't have Michael Porter Jr., doesn't have Jamal Murray, is a team that, you know, Nikola Jokic only had a score of 17 points. It's not like Nikola Jokic came out and he just had one of those games where he came out and he just cooked you. No, you guys let a guy like Highland. Does anyone even know who Bones Highland is? You guys let Bones Highland go off for 27 points. You guys let Jeff Green go off for 26 points. Nobody was guarding anybody. You guys just gave up. This is a team, too, that should be considered to be right around your level. 21 and 22, we know you can't beat teams that are above 500, but this team was only 22 and 19. They're not that far above 500. You could have possibly beat this team. At this point, you are slipping out of playoff contention, and for a team with a history like the Lakers and having to be a part of that organization for as many years as I have, seeing the winning culture that we established, to just see it in shambles now, you guys don't even seem like you care about losing. To give up and lose 96 to, to 133 to a depleted Nuggets team, that's just embarrassing and unacceptable. And I think you guys know that as much. LeBron James himself, ringleader of the Lakers, came out and tweeted 
an apology to Lakers fans acknowledging that they will be better. So if I'm wrong, why is LeBron out here apologizing? Oh, you, you expect us to show up magic like you've been showing up to our facility? Man, get out of here with your old head. You know what? If you think there's so much wrong with us, why don't you join us? We got a bunch of older people already. We've got the oldest lineup in the league. So let's let's bring it back. Let's bring Showtime back. What do you say? Honestly, at this point, I don't know that anything can help this team. I think that the main solution in this, obviously Magic Johnson offering an unwelcomed opinion, Obviously, beating down this team's confidence right now isn't going to help. He just wants to see his team do better. He's a frustrated fan. He's coming from the perspective of being a Lakers fan and not just a former Lakers player. He obviously roots for this team. And to see him in shambles, you feel like any other guy who'd be frustrated to see your team performing at this level. And the worst part is that it just seems like there's no effort um, being given on their part. I think the solution, honestly, at this point would be for Magic Johnson to probably understand that this is a fragile team and that he is a figure that as a Lakers great, his words carry influence. So I think that him offering a negative opinion at this point is probably not something that the Lakers need to hear. But also the Lakers need to understand that if they don't give better effort, they're obviously going to face negative backlash from other people. It's not just Magic Johnson, it's everyone. So the solution is... Lakers, play harder. Magic Johnson, if you have nothing nice to say, keep it to yourself. All right, and the last one, Devin Booker versus the Raptors mascot. The book was complaining in the empty arena that he was shooting late-game free throws and the Raptors mascot was being distracting. Raptors mascot was then asked to move away from the basket area so Book can shoot his free throws. I will be the Raptors mascot, and you can be Devin Booker. Go ahead and start. Hey, man, to be honest with you, I know that I'm a big Kobe Bryant fan. Oh, now you see me, now you don't. <laughs> you know, I have that Mamba mentality. I'm a fan of the, the Mamba mentality and all that. But I've also made it a point to say that I am not Kobe Bryant. And, you know, to be playing in an arena where there's not even any fans present, there's no one there. So, obviously, to see the guy in the bright red, the I was one there. person there, you know, that's, that's going to be tough to see. That's what I'm saying. I mean, you're the one dude there. You're really going to do this. Obviously it's going to be distracting. It's not earlier in the game. This is literally a, an end of game situation where these free throws could possibly impact the outcome of the game. You know that obviously I'm going to see you jumping up and down right behind me. It's not like there's a sea of other fans that are distracting me and I'm not Kobe Bryant. I'm not going to be able to just tune you out because what you're doing is ridiculous, doing jumping jacks behind the rim when I'm trying to shoot game-ending free throws here. So I don't appreciate it. I know that there's no fans in the stadium, and maybe you're trying to introduce some fun. I tried to squeeze, uh, squash the beef on Twitter with them. You know, I, I went and changed my profile picture to the Raptor because I'm trying to roll with the punches so that people don't think that I'm sensitive. You know, I don't want people to perceive me as being a sensitive guy. Kendall Jenner told me that if I changed my profile picture to the Raptor and made it a joke, people would leave me alone about this, but clearly not because I'm here having to defend my position again. Well, all I have to say is I have more fans around the nation than you do because even your girl sliding into my DMs. Oof. 
Honestly, it is, it is tough. Um, Devin Booker, obviously a guy who not maybe one of the most popular guys in the league, seeing as he can't even make an all-star game right now, has um, players like Clay Thompson getting more votes than him, and Clay's barely played any games. But um, for whatever reason, I think that this is a lesson learned. This is maybe one of the reasons why Devin Booker is now more popular. You are an NBA player. You are supposed to be cognizant of the fact that when you shoot free throws, it is part of the game for fans and whatever that arena's environment may be to try to throw distractions at you. And, you know, as long as they're not interfering with the actual game, they're not throwing anything at you. They're not going out onto the court. They're short of, you know, like pointing a laser beam at you. They're just, they're just jumping in the stands. That's what fans do. So I think that that's something that even if it is an empty arena as a pro NBA player, you should be able to tune that out. I think it was a pretty weak move on his part to literally complain to an official about it and have the mascot moved so that he could shoot his free throws in peace and then pretend that he doesn't care by, you know, trying to play it off as a joke. So I think that the lesson is Devin Booker, you're not getting voted into all-star games right now for a reason. You need to be a little bit more likable dude. And, you know, getting into fights with Raptors mascots and team mascots in general and empty stadiums, is not going to help make your case. Just play yeah, the game. Well, with that, that's the end of our show. Like us, subscribe to us wherever you find your best podcast players. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Meister. Court is adjourned. Call.